welcome to another edition of What's Next? Living Longer, Better, Smarter. This episode is made possible by Vitaltech, providing digital solutions transforming connected health. For more, visit vitaltech.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Mary Furlong. In this episode, we have some very knowledgeable guests joining us to talk about telemedicine today, what you should know. From Doctor on Demand, Vice President of Medical Affairs, Dr. Prentice Taylor. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Taylor. Yes, happy to be here. Thank you. Grant Chamberlain is Managing Director in the Corporate Finance and Healthcare Practice at Ziegler. He has over 20 years of investment banking experience and much of his career focused on virtual health. Great to have you here as well, Grant. Thank you, Virginia. And Ernie Iannacci joins us from Vitaltech, a company providing digital solutions for connected health. Thanks for taking part, Ernie. Thanks for having me. Well, we sure have a lot of expertise here. Mary, maybe you want to kick things off. Yes, I'm going to turn it over to Grant Chamberlain. And Grant, I'm such a fan of your work. And can you tell us a little bit about how busy you've been and what are the trends that you're seeing? Yeah, as, as you know, so I, I, my, my focus is in M&A and capital raising in the virtual health and digital health space. Um, and you know, we've seen more progress in the last five months than we've probably seen in the last five years. I think, you know, I, I saw a stat from Sutter in which they did 70,000 virtual studies in 2019 and are doing 70,000 a week now, 50 times increase. And that was several weeks ago. And so we, we're, you know, to me, this is really about brute force awareness in the marketplace of tools and technologies that I think have been building for the last 20 years. And, and the beauty of where we are now is a lot of the tools, technologies have advanced to a point where it really is about ease of use and ease of entry and the utility of these tools. And we're now seeing you know, a, a recognition that players and where capital is flowing in these companies that really understand that integral marriage between social determinants, behavioral health, and chronic care management. And as we see the tools and technologies work towards, you know, creating that digital front door in which it is an easy button to get in, and it, it is embedded directly in the workflows of, you know, the, the, the current provider base. And probably the most important aspect is how do we navigate to the right level of licensure? Because in my mind, telehealth and digital health really is a, is a it means to optimize workforce. How do you ensure that everybody in the workforce stream, whether it's specialist, primary care physician, nurse practitioner, licensed social worker, family member, are all engaged in operating at the top of their licensure or at, in utilizing those tools? And you know, we're seeing huge momentum in two areas. Think about you know, where, where we've seen even pre-COVID, but now part of COVID, an enormous amount of momentum is in the behavioral space. Telebehavioral is exploding for a lot of reasons and is and is, is taken off even more so now within the COVID dynamics. And, and in some degree, you know, we, I'm, I'm a board member at the American Telemedicine Association. And for a long time, we are, you know, we promote that, you know, virtual care and telehealth is as good as in person. In some aspects, telebehavioral may well be one area that may well end up being demonstrated to be better than. If you're able to engage with somebody and, and absorb their social determinants around them, you're delivering a better. And then, Mary, the other area that we're 
we're seeing enormous growth is where you focus your attention is in these in these smart aging senior living space. We're now, you know, we're probably in the fifth or sixth inning in the evolution of telehealth broadly. In the in the senior living space, we're you know probably in the second inning, but growing rapidly across so many different use cases that are now you know driving into the sector because of you know what were the realities of COVID. So that's a long answer to your question, Mary, but I think we're seeing an enormous amount of momentum across the board and a lot of activity, M&A activity as you're seeing in the marketplace, whether it is you know, public IPOs, an enormous amount of capital flowing into the space and a lot of M&A because the space needs some players of scale and, and, and the players we have on this phone, on this line or the, on the call with us are some of the leaders in this sector as well. Dr. Taylor, you know, you've got the coat on, so I'm thinking I got to ask you to look at my shoulder here, but tell us a bit about Dr. On Demand, a little background. Well, Dr. On Demand is one of the largest of the national telemedicine companies. Uh, we like to say that uh, telemedicine really is just another way of doing medical care. In our experience, it's appropriate for 92 to 95% of the situations that people would normally call a doctor for. There are a few things like trauma, for instance, where it's not as great for, but increasingly it's showing it, the value that it adds in primary care, as well as traditionally urgent care and growing, as uh, was pointed out by Mr. Chamberlain, uh, in terms of uh, behavioral health. So we are a company that was uh, started with some initial funding from uh, Google Ventures and Anderson Horwitz and uh, since then have had uh, a lot of experience with uh, partnering with a lot of organizations such as Walmart and a lot of the national health plans. So uh, what we're, I think, most proud of is that we have been able to, uh, in terms of the senior segment, not only serve Medicare Advantage health plans, but uh, pioneering in Medicare Part B and have uh, been very involved with caregiver stress programs and getting the uh, social determinants of health screened for and depression screening. So uh, I guess I don't want to be too long-winded about that, but any questions you want to ask me, I'm happy to unpack for you. Well, one of the things, I, my impression has been, I suppose, that early adapters would look at this field and say, sure, let me get on, let me get on, go online. But seniors might take a lot more convincing. Is that right? Well, uh, I would say that our experience with seniors is that uh, they fall into different segments. Certainly baby boomers have proven, I was just uh, working with uh, McKinsey last week and they did a recent survey showing that 74 to 78% of baby boomers are uh, very comfortable with digital technologies and are eager to do more with telemedicine. Uh, they are the more frail elderly who need assistance but we often mention the anecdote that the oldest patient was called in totally independently to use us as a 94-year-old man, which surprised us. But uh, there are many seniors who have uh, a lot of interest in this space. And we have a number of programs which uh, working with various health plan and other partners are, are focused on their needs, like in fall prevention, for instance, and assessing the home environment, uh, making sure that uh, they're on the right medications and not too many medications and so on and so forth. Ernie, let me bring you in. This can be 
more than just a, a Zoom type of call like, like we're on now. What kinds of technologies can, can be employed here to really help with patient monitoring and, and telemedicine? Well, you know, that, that's really interesting. Telemedicine is kind of a catch-all. Um, you know, at Vital Tech, we actually uh, look at telemedicine as a subset of virtual care. And virtual care is really what we see as truly an exploding field. And that's really what we do. We provide a virtual care platform. So whether it's remote patient monitoring, it's the digital front door that Grant um, pointed out, um, it's delivering a, a telemedicine session or population health. It, it's really all about delivering um, virtual care in all modalities wherever the patient needs to be served. So it's you know delivering care to an aging in place senior or, or maybe a shut-in senior or even to you know a, a mother that's that's working um, you know constantly and has a has a sick child. So it, it's really across the spectrum and. Uh, it, it's, it's more than just hooking up a doctor or a caregiver to that patient. It's bringing back vitals. It's bringing back social determinants of health. It's bringing back activities of daily living, contextualizing all that information, providing the care team with actually richer data than they got in the old world where they just got to visit once or twice a year and 15 minutes with their care team and that's it. Now you get that really rich contextualized data. And, and I agree, there's, there's certain disease states, certain conditions, behavioral health being one of them, but long-term chronic care, where you might actually get better care in this new world order than you were getting before because of all that trend data and that um, in-between visit information that you lost and, and never could capture. Grant, what, what's big here? Wearables, robots, and <laughs> things like that to, to, to enable a lot of this? It, it's it, to me is it, it one the, the beauty of what these two gentlemen have is they is they really are about workflows. This is about analytically driven workflows based upon evidence, and how do you create those tools and technologies that create those flows so that ease of entry and the utility of those tools is you know, exploited and used optimally. And I and I'm, I'm with Ernie. I honestly believe over time, as more technology, because there's AI and 5G is going to transform the space continually. As you're as you're bringing tools and technology and making things as, as simple as you know facial recognition to to tell prompt the physician to repeat what he said because the patient didn't understand what he said. You know that's a wonderful piece of elegant technology. Having you know language. You know that uh, uh, interpretation right alongside having labs, imaging, and EMR and other data uh, right in, in the view of the physician as he's going through it and prompting evidence as it's going along. It is really the marriage of all that analytically driven engagement in front of the patient, in front of the physician, and then you know, honestly back to you know, understanding their social determinants. But then it's really the basic blocking and tackling of people making their appointments. I mean, 40% of, you know, we, some stats, 40% of, of, of behavioral patients don't miss their appointments. If you can drive better adherence to making your visits and better adherence and compliance of just taking your meds, you know, we've gone a long way. And I really do believe that these tools and technologies and the, and the individuals that are on this call really do drive better access and better compliance. And if you marry that with evidence, you know, you really have, you know, the perfect storm. You know, it's been the most stressful time for people, whether they're a small business owner or they can't see their families um, 
or it's hard to get out. You know, in California, we're having another spate of bad air this weekend. So that's a risk factor for people. Do you feel like this has been a revolution? This has caused a revolution in telehealth, the COVID, because people had to adapt so quickly in senior housing. And did, what, what is the scale by which it grew? <laughs> the adoption curve. Well, I'll take that first. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, we often use baseball and other analogies that uh, I would say that prior to COVID, we were about in the second inning of uh, the adoption of uh, telehealth, at least in the United States. And I think now we're probably uh, kicked forward to the fourth. There's still uh, a long runway to mix metaphors, but uh, I think what it did is it, it showed a lot of people the value and the intimacy of uh, telehealth and the connection of talking with an empathetic clinician face-to-face uh, -face with these technologies and how well it works. So that's what I'd say briefly. You know, Dr. Taylor, 30 years ago when I started SeniorNet, uh, the first question when we had a doctor online was, why don't the doctors listen to me when I go in, into their office? Because sometimes seniors will have a faint voice and they may have trouble articulating. And sometimes men have trouble saying, don't want to go to the doctor and it's the wife that, or a daughter that encourages them. Do you think people listen better in telehealth? Because you seem so uh, approachable to, uh, Fred wants to share his uh, aches and pains and I'm inclined <laughs> too. <laughs> it seems in some way there's an intimacy and a friendliness about it. At least it seems to me. Well, briefly, the technology does aid that, but I know for us, some of it comes down to being very selective about uh, choosing doctors to work for us who audition in video. Oh, wow. And yeah. They are chosen for their eye contact, their empathy, their ability to pause and listen, et cetera. But you, you actually brush up against another point. So the electronic medical record era a lot of uh, thought leaders have pointed out have produced a situation where you go in to see the doctor in the physical office and the doctor's over here looking at the screen and talking to you over their shoulder, but mainly looking at that screen rather than really interpreting all the nuances and subtle things that you're trying to express uh, non-verbally as well as verbally. But I'll let others chime in. What yeah. about patient? Let me ask you about patient load. Dr. Dr. Taylor, how, how that works. I know when, you know, we all know the situation when we go to see a doctor in, in the office setting. Uh, how crammed are, are doctors who are participating in this today? Uh, what, what does this mean for their, what their, for their lives and lifestyles? Well, you know, uh, we find doctors are attracted to this because uh, they don't have to put up with the headaches of commuting time. You know, I used to work for Advocate Healthcare, one of the largest healthcare systems in the Midwest. I drove an hour and 15 minutes to the clinic each way every day, and I'm, I'm glad I did. I was glad to be able to be of service, but the point I'm getting at is a lot of doctors are very attracted to be able to do this like I'm doing now from a home office with their degrees behind them and there's no commuting time, there's no windshield time, there's no variability with the weather. So it, it ends up making doctors for many reasons, the software mainly more productive than they would be otherwise. And there's less waiting time for patients. You're not sitting in a waiting room with a bunch of sick people with a doctor who's running behind and, and the doctor will see you now. We all have had that experience. 
So Ernie, talk a little bit about how your business was in January and then what happened in February and March, because you saw a big change. Massive, massive growth. Um, you know, we were mostly focused on senior living and the individual physician practices, physician groups. But one of the things that was a sea change starting in, uh, in late February, early March was the large health systems um, pivoted sharply and embraced virtual care. Um, their decision cycles were compressed from two years to two months. You know, I talk to hospital CIOs and CEOs every single day now. And they said, you know, literally our seven, five to seven year plans were compressed to five to seven month plans. And, and they're doing things that they just envisioned literally that, you know, would be two, three, four years out now, putting them into place as fast as they can to just adjust to the new reality. And, you know, I think that's a great thing for patients. It's a great thing for staff burnout. It's a great thing for, for all their clinicians. And again, you know, I really think that the, the new world is, is going to be good for everyone, but there's a lot to figure out. There's a lot of disparate systems. There's integrating with the HRs. It's, it's new workflows. It's new care modalities. So it's really, um, you know, behooves co companies like ours to help our health system customers, advocates for one, you said you left there, that they're one of our big customers. And one of our jobs is to help them figure all of this out and implement the right workflows to make it better for their clinicians and better for their patients. Um, and, and I think that's you know, what we're good at and one of the things that our platform is really designed to do because you, know, you don't wanna just throw digital technology out there and hope it, it sticks. You really wanna design it so that it makes everyone's life better. And I think if you do that, care gets dramatically better. Talk a little bit about rural because just like in schools, there is a digital divide. And uh, later on, we're going to have a guest who's 99 and a half, and she's adapting to the new technology. Um, but, you know, one of the things that had access, because some rural hospitals are closing. That's yeah, even that's one of the things that concerns me a lot. Rural health systems are collapsing or on the verge of collapse. Um, you know, we're, we're actually submitting a letter to CMS tomorrow. Um, and many of our peers are as well, which is really advocating to allow for companies uh, like Dr. Taylor's to be able to initiate care to a patient that they've never seen in person. And we think that is utterly critical um, to continue that after the PHE period, because you've got these people out in rural um, areas of the country that just can't get to a doctor. They can't get to a health system easily. So um, they need to be able to, um, you know, initiate a care plan with, with Dr. Taylor's company. And that needs to be their primary care provider going forward. They can't drive 100, 200, 300 miles with, you know, when they have multiple comorbidities and, you know, visit a doctor once so that then they can have a telehealth relationship going forward. So we're really hoping that Congress and CMS puts that into place permanently after this uh, emergency period is over. Well, our next big event is in Washington, and we'll look at that. But go ahead, Grant, because I bet I you're on say, there. You know, again, I'm going to do a plug for the American Telemedicine Association and what Anne Johnson is doing with their, their initiative called Cement the Games. They are working directly with HHS and, and, and the Hill to drive, you know, one, all of the progress we've made, and we've been working, you know, long before this to try, you know, the continue. There was an enormous benefit of all the waivers that we got that sort of created this, you know, tidal wave of awareness and access. But we now have to one to 
delineate one that those that should stick those that you know button you know, whether it is you know the hip relaxation and loud zoom and other things to come in need to pull back whether it's controlled substances there's some areas that need it but the vast majority of the tools was you know that were brought by those waivers are going to benefit broadly certainly in rural health and those need to be you know solidified long term and i think there's a lot of effort right now going on and, and really, you know, one of the big beneficiaries, both of rural health and, and, and honestly, um, distance learning is, you know, the momentum of what's going on is essentially that broadband needs to become a fundamental right. Broadband mm -hmm. has to become a fundamental right in this country. And, you know, the, the, the benefit of the Department of Education, Department of Health saying, hey, we've got to figure out a way to ensure we don't have these gaps in, in, in these pairs. If those two collide, and we create momentum of you know, wiring this country so that we do have you know, equality, both in the most underserved population, because there's honestly, there's much an issue on the south side of Chicago as there is in Montana. And that is not only broadband, but that is you know, the access plans. How do you have enough access on your iPhone to, to facilitate this? So there are tools to facilitate getting access. That's really what this is all about. How do you create ease of entry and consistent access over time? And that, that's going to be part of the benefits of you know, some aspects of what's come out of COVID. And, the, and again, just the brute force awareness of how valuable these tools are, both in, you know, as, as in distance learning and in healthcare. That's really, really interesting, uh, Grant. The idea that many are saying healthcare is a right, but without uh, the broadband, this kind of healthcare can't happen. Correct. So, what about the issues? that a lot of people would wonder about. What, what can this do? What can't it do? Obviously, you're not going to draw blood or check a prostate or anything like that uh, through telemedicine. So office visits are needed in some cases. So when do we go online as opposed to, to going into the office? And what about some of the privacy concerns that people may have about this? Mm -hmm. I'd like to each of you chime in here. Maybe you first, Dr. Taylor. Well, you know, I would say, first of all, not, not to correct you, but uh, you might be surprised to know that uh, the major companies do partnerships with large organizations like LabCorp and Quest, we've been drawing blood for several years and interpreting those results. And then Dr. In Demand, you know, we've been innovating. I think uh, my colleague mentioned um, some of the, the imaging studies. Uh, they, I think both uh, other panelists mentioned those. So we've been doing the uh, imaging studies can send people for mammograms, MRIs, and all of that. So I would say that uh, currently we're, we're very enabled in terms of that, and we're not the only ones, to be frank. Um, so uh, there's a lot that it can do, but, but as I mentioned, there are a few situations you mentioned feeling on a prostate, a pap smear, someone who's fallen down the stairs and their knee as big as a toaster, somebody like that truly needs to go to the emergency room. But part of the value that we impart is keeping people in the right place at the right time, seeing the right clinicians and getting the right people going to the emergency room and the right people going to urgent mm -hmm. care and mm -hmm. then other people doing this type of thing. How quickly could I see a doctor online if I, if I have something that I, I'm not sure about? Well, generally in three minutes, uh, you can connect wow. 24 hours a day. And behavioral health, uh, that's traditionally worked by appointments. So one of the, the advantages I know in our experience, 
uh, we are able to do behavioral health appointments with uh, psychiatrists and psychologists within seven days and recently started doing some uh, same day access for behavioral health visits. In addition, uh, not to toot our own horn, but we've trained our PCPs to recognize, score, and treat depression and anxiety. And that service is available 24 hours a day. So that is a kind of behavioral health service. Grant, you mentioned behavioral health earlier. I was interested in what are the kind of buckets underneath behavioral health? I mean, what are the different areas it seems to me like a lot of people are stressed and having trouble sleeping, but are you seeing high anxiety? Yes, I mean, again, the interesting thing is, I know we, we, we've published three white papers on the sector and you know, the beauty of what's going on in this space is there's just an enormous amount of tools, technologies, and there's, there's no sector that has more utilities and uses than behavioral health because you have you know, psychiatry, self-management, you know, uh, MAT therapy, you know, you know, pediatric anxieties, you know, there's, you know, and, and substance abuse, there is, there's different tools, technologies, and workflows across all of those. And, you know, and, 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 which, and, and what's going on right now with COVID, whether it is anxiety, whether it is dealing with and managing substance abuse, and how do you create tools and technology? One, there, there's the great thing about the awareness that's going on now is, you know, can, you can use licensed social workers and, as you said, primary care physicians to triage and manage a lot of this so that everybody is operating at the top of their license. And there's no area that's probably more in need of that than it is in behavioral because there is there is such a scarcity of resources, especially as you get into geriatrics or, or you know, childhood education. You have to be navigating and managing the access to the, you know, so that the parties are all absorbing this at the right moment. And that's where the technology and the tools can triage that so that it does arrive at the right body. You know, we will be linking to your white papers. Um, one of the misconceptions I think about people have about older adults is they're not learners. And in fact, they read and access a lot of information. So I know some of your papers have been more aimed at the investor sector, but I think even I find I read every single one. And so if you have other resources that you'd recommend to our listening audience, we'd like to suggest those because we're all, it's a new category for many people and we're all learning the issues. And we will be in Washington at our summit with the regulators at the table. So as you bring up this broadband issue, I've been advocating for that for a long time since I was in the Clinton administration working on those issues. So um, we will be talking about that digital divide and that those reports as well. Um, Ernie, what is what do you see ahead? You know, I definitely see the adoption of virtual care coming mainstream, um, you know, remote monitoring of vitals of, of you know daily activities, things like that. One of the things that I hope to see. And again, I'm, it has to happen. I don't know how long it's going to take. And it goes a little bit to what Grant was saying about letting um, providers operate at the top of their licensure, is that we have to break down some of the barriers and the regulations about cross-state practicing so that you can have lower level um, 
operators looking at, say, doing monitoring or lower level triage so that the higher level licensures could deal with um, more serious or, or making the right um, calls and decisions and, and letting the technology route the patients correctly. Because right now there's so many artificial barriers that our system has evolved over time um, and erected that it's just really hard to implement a true virtual care system in our country. We could save hundreds of billions of dollars if we pulled those walls down and allow our medical system to operate with efficiencies. And just, you can't right now. I mean, you know, if you want to have patients in California that you're trying to monitor in Nevada, but the doctors are, you know, maybe, uh, you know, in Wyoming, for example, that's just really, really hard. And, uh, you know, there's ways around it, but you have to do some really creative things to, to make that happen. And, and that shouldn't be the case. If the specialist is in Wyoming and you have monitoring personnel in Nevada and the patient is, you know, needed, needed in California, that should just be able to be done. And, you know, we have to get there. Ernie, what do you say to people who question security and privacy when it comes to doing all of this online? You know, we've solved many of those things in the financial sector and in, in other um, extremely uh, sensitive sectors in our, in our country, whether it's national security, again, or financial transactions. You know, um, we can solve the security aspect uh, through the use of technology, just like in other industries. And again, I think when it comes to at least most people, if, if it comes to getting the care you need from the specialist that's only available um, remotely, you're going to trade off taking that, you know, one in a million risk with getting the right level of care remotely, um, you know, 99 times out of 100. And I just think we need to give people that choice. And, and Dr. Taylor, when it comes to insurance, have the, the insurance companies come a long way on this or what can you tell us? Are you talking about insurance in terms of health insurance companies? Well, getting, 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 getting my visits, my telemedicine visits covered. And from the doctor's perspective, how all this comes together too. Yes, uh, the, the health insurance companies have embraced this uh, going back several years. So uh, they've been very forefront on that. So I would say within the first year of our existence, we had to prove to, for example, United Healthcare Humana that we are who we say we are, that the security is there, the quality is there, the access works quickly, the software works. So they, they've been on it for a long time. So they're doing, uh, they're doing some actually very innovative things in a number of arenas. Grant, you sort of hinted at this before, uh, but hardly a day goes by when uh, I don't see a press release or, or a news story about another development in telehealth or telemedicine, something else coming along. How difficult is it for you to, to keep up with all of this? Uh, it, 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 it's impossible, but the, the beauty is, I you know, one, because of my role at the ATA and some of the other efforts I'm on, and, and the fact that, you know, we are in, in the middle of a number of transactions, we're engaged with it. And, and, and part of our, you know, are things that I've been, you know, promoting and driving for a long time. And I think, you know, uh, virtual clinical trials and decentralized clinical trials is an area that if you think about what's really driven, you know, what's been a beneficiary of, of virtual that historically was an afterthought that I've, I've, I've been on a soapbox for years saying, why wouldn't we use virtual and, and, and telehealth to help manage and drive both adherence compliance and, 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 and efforts in between visits 
using these tools because it's just a more compassionate way to deal with it. Why make somebody get in a car to go visit a principal investigator that's you know two hours away on a trial that could be done virtually? And the, the, the pace of innovation that's taken place in the last six months in decentralized clinical trials and the awareness of some of the biggest CROs and sponsors, as well as the growth of innovative companies at the, at the grassroots of creating the secure infrastructure because of, the, you know, you think it's complex to do tele on a, on a regular HIPAA base, the complexity of delivering clinical trials on a secure navigated solution because of what the pharma, FDA, and IRBs are required to do. But by definition, it is maybe what to me one of the most obvious areas of, you know, how you should be dealing with and ensuring both a, you know, a delivery of a trial more effectively and, and the nice thing about it is the ROI is huge. If you can keep people on trials, if you can help them, you know, become more conclusive, you can expand the catchment area because you're able to drive this. It is the right way to do it. And so those back to, you know, things that I see that have been innovative and, and new technologies. I, I highlighted in my white paper pre-COVID because it's an area I've been pursuing and pushing and it became one of the fastest growing areas uh, of, you know, the, the impact of, COVID is how do you keep people on trials and how do you, you know, get them access to trials? Well, what an interesting discussion and so great to have all of you here. I guess if you had one piece of advice for a senior out there thinking about their future and health, what advice would you give them? We'll let each of you take that one on. Dr. Taylor, you want to go first? Uh, I would say for seniors out there that the AARP has done a lot with um, enabling access to simpler smartphones and simpler tablets that are more affordable. So I would say to people, don't feel you have to have the, uh, the highest price and very newest uh, X-Phone 15, let, let me make that up, to, <laughs> to get into this. There, there are ways in which you can get into this in their courses that the AARP and others makes available. So uh, your, your onboarding for this can be simple and affordable. Ernie? Yeah, I would say don't be intimidated by the technology. It, it's, it's there to um, make your life better and easier. And frankly, uh, you know, ask your doctor about remote technology, remote monitoring and uh, telehealth. Again, it's there to um, protect you and to make your life better and make it easier for you to stay independent longer. And Grant, you're getting the last word. <laughs> and I, and it's to me a bit about what Ernie just said, don't be afraid of it. And, and to some degree, so many seniors have become engaged with tele or now have, at least have heard the word or know people that have engaged with it. And the reality is many of them engage with it in what really was just, again, sort of a brute force, you know, interaction with a video the beauty of what these gentlemen are doing and what the space has been doing for 20 years is you know they should be thinking about this on an ongoing basis with companies and organizations that are doing this in a manner in which they, they back to that seamless digital front door that easy button to get in the ability for them to navigate and use their weight scales their blood pressure cuffs their you know, other tools that they're you know thinking they've used historically you know what they may have experienced in the last six months is actually a, a little more lumpier than what the beauty of this space is today, which is, you know, organizations like these two that create 
smooth, easy access. And so their experience they may have had or heard others having about, yeah, I was able to talk to my physician. It was wonderful. No, it, it is actually a much more elegant infrastructure that will make it easier for them that, you know, whether it's on their smartphone that is easy to use or otherwise, it is a, it is a piece of technology that has an, 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 a, a service that will be very simple for them to use on an ongoing basis. So well, that's wonderful. You know, we think of home as the new health hub, just like it's the new work hub, but great discussion. Fred, over to you. Well, Mary, we've got more to come, but we just want to say thank you once again to Dr. Taylor, to Grant, and to Ernie for sharing your thoughts with us. Really important stuff and got a lot to follow going forward. Thank you. So, Mary, it, it seems like the benefits of telemedicine are pretty clear, especially in the midst of this pandemic. But we wanted to give our listeners and viewers an even better look at what the experience is like. So you've got some people to introduce us to. Yes, I, I'm introducing to you to two of my friends who are mother and daughter, um, Pat Stenson and her mom, Jean Stenson, who I've known for a long time. And uh, they're going to talk a little bit about their use of telehealth. And Pat, do you mind sharing your ages too? What age and stage of life are you? <laughs> Just like Jack Benny. Um, okay, I'm 66. And mom, how old are you? I am 99. In fact, Jean, we were just getting ready to celebrate your 100th birthday at the Yacht Club when the COVID started. No, it was my 99th birthday, right. Yeah. Well, we'll have to celebrate the 100th next year. That's, so. that's right. <laughs> I'm getting all the candles ready. Good. Okay. What is your secret to living to be 100? Oh, uh, social dis social distancing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very good advice. I, I know, uh, the, the God is good, I guess, as they say. So, and I know been, you've been keeping active with your books, reading books, and listening to the news, and yes, being with I've, your family. Uh, well, I take a great. I uh, I have belonged to a book. Well, I don't know. It's a long. It's a long story. I've had macular degeneration for 25 years or so, and now I really can't can't see very well at all. So, uh, but I have belonged to a book club for the last 11 years, and uh, it's very uh, very rewarding. The ladies are they're all they're all ladies who have raised families or and have a certain degree of leisure. But, uh, and uh, I'm the only one that can't see to read, so they uh, acquire an acoustical book for me, so, so I have, I can listen to my book. And, uh, and it's been a very, um, very enjoyable experience to uh, be associated with all these ladies who are considerably younger than I am. <laughs> um, and, and getting to do things together. I know I'm doing an online bridge club, which I enjoyed during COVID time. So Pat, tell us about your experience with telehealth. Um, well, 
Um, I don't know what you want to know. We um, have been using telehealth, especially in the last six months. But before that, um, we had access to telehealth too. And it's, we have our, um, we like it in some respects and we don't like it in some respects. You know, it's very convenient if you have something like a medicine change or, you know, just to check in with your doctor. But um, one visit we had with her doctor, we were on um, my laptop and um, he, her, she had some edema in her leg and he goes, well, can you show that to me? <laughs> so I'm like trying to maneuver my laptop camera so I can get, and she had to stand up, you know, so that was kind of awkward. That would have been a much easier visit in person. But generally, I like it because they're usually on schedule when you make an appointment with the telehealth doctor line. They're usually more on schedule before they might call me an hour later and say, oh, sorry, I was with a real patient or, you know, involved with someone who was in the office. And I said, well, <laughs> they had an appointment. Um, but uh, what do you think, Mom? I mean, it's a lot easier you don't have to drive and park and you know, wheel the person in. And, For someone who was uh, housebound, basically, it's very convenient, <clears throat> excuse me, to, uh, to have you consult with the doctor over the phone. But uh, uh, on the other hand, you do sacrifice a certain amount of privacy. You know, the whole world knows what ails you <laughs> when you're on the phone, uh, but uh, you, if you can't drive or if you have, have a problem with transportation, that's very convenient to have that service available to you. And I imagine it has come into its own during this COVID social distancing UK's uh, and uh, I imagine a lot of people have discovered it, didn't know it existed before. And uh, I think it's convenient for the doctors too, to be able to call you somewhat at their leisure to be able to sit down and talk to you without interruption. You, have a, you do have a certain amount of time to talk to them and get your business taken care of. So. I think it's really very, very convenient. And then you can always, you know, go in if the, if the ailment is serious enough, they'll tell you to come in and see us. Gene, when, when you were talking about uh, the, the privacy aspect, that's because somebody is in the room with you to make sure this is all working, that you don't have a, a private behind yeah, the doors right. so consult. All your, all your ailments. But on on the doctor's end, it is on the doctor's end, it is private. There's nobody else necessarily in the room with the doctor. It's strictly what you're talking about in your home. That right. You don't have the privacy. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably the principal drawback is that you you do lose that confidentiality to a degree. So. Can, can you think back, uh, maybe Pat, the, what the the first time experience was like for you? Were you worried about trying to even get involved with telemedicine? No, um, I've used it for my mom and for myself. Um, one thing, I, uh, I miss the face-to-face -face with the doctor, the actual 
personal contact with the doctor, even though you're speaking with them. Um, my mom's doctor just retired and, um, you know, we've been seeing him for years and he was like a friend too, you know, but I don't think you get that same feeling with a phone call, especially, I don't know what her new doctor's going to be like. We haven't talked to her yet. And, um, so I miss that, that face-to-face -face actual uh, reality. And, um, the first time was before COVID, you know, and, um, she uh, also has to take some medication that she needs to be checked on. And so every once in a while, her doctor would call and say, okay, you know, this reading was a little high, you know, we need to make an adjustment. And, you know, that's fine. That's perfect for telemedicine, you know, that he didn't have to, you know, do an exam or she didn't have any, um, you know, like pain or anything like that. It was just a minor tweak to her medication. So I think that's, you know, it's great for that. Um, what else? I had a, um, I just developed arthritis in my thumb, so I've had uh, occupational therapy with my uh, therapist on the phone, and um, I think I'm better doing that in person too because I feel like I actually will follow through <laughs> with somebody who's going to see me in real life, sort of like, you know, piano lessons or something, you know, you go once a week, you play on Friday, you go to your lesson on Saturday, right? You know, so uh, I, uh, I don't know. I, I may be odd because I just really enjoy that personal experience. Well, I enjoy the personal experience too, like to have a doctor know who you are and and uh, all your physical attributes in three dimensions. <laughs> but, uh, so, but you can always arrange to have uh, an actual appointment to, to see the doctor. And the fact that you use the, what do you call it? Telewet? Telemedicine or telehealth, health, right? Yeah. This service. In customary, you know, it's, it's the service covers most of the bases, but it it's still uh, desirable, I think, to act, actually see your physician in person from time to time. And of course, Pat, you're lucky to be right there with your mom in this time of COVID. Many caregivers are farther away, right. and I guess they would do a telehealth conversation remotely. Um, but it seems to me it might make sense to have a list of questions even before a telehealth consult for your doctor. So I don't know if we need to have a little guide that says, before you see your doctor, be sure to ask these things, you know. So, and of course, the doctor is happy that he doesn't have to com commute. At least that's what he told right. us this morning. And I think you do seem to get one-on-one -on -one attention. Yeah. Um, I don't know if behavior is going to change that much because sometimes the doctor gives you advice you don't want to hear, like <laughs> exercise and eat better. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people are more inclined to follow up with their doctor. So anything else, Fred, that you want to? Well, the, with, the, with the whole experience, I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not you would be willing to use something like a wearable, you know, an Apple Watch or something like that, that or a device like that that would let the let the medical let your 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 doctors know 
what your heart rate is, for instance, mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. like that, that they could monitor. I'm not talking about anything intrusive necessarily, but there are some that can even take a, an electrocardiogram mm -hmm. the, these days that the doctor can see all of that remotely. Would you be skeptical about that or, or willing to try it? Talking to you. Oh, well, uh, I, I'd, try, I'd be willing to try it. What have I got to lose? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I think those uh, uh, devices are, if they're not already here, they're coming. And uh, well, actually, I, I can take, I have a, get a, uh, an instrument to take your blood pressure and your, uh, your whatever, you know. Well, we have a scale that's Bluetooth to my phone so we can see what her, you know, weight pro progress is. And so, I mean, there's lots of things um, besides a wearable that are available to everybody, you know, like the blood pressure cuff and the, you know, um, but, but I know a wearable, I don't know, uh, I guess. Well, it depends what on the like, right? If it's like nice earrings, you might wear it, right? But if it's a clunky thing, you know, in Singapore, they just announced that if you wear an Apple Watch, the government will pay you if you walk every day and and monitor your health. So mm -hmm. it is a balance between having these technology tools that help you monitor your health versus the privacy that you might want to have. Um, and I think those are questions that seniors and all of us are concerned about. So I guess really a lot of pluses and minuses to this technology, yeah. but during this time of the pandemic, uh, I think most of us would say the, the pluses outweigh the minuses. I think yeah. you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I, mean, I don't want to take her to the hospital, you know, when it, anybody there could have COVID, you know, or even, you know, it's such, it, it seems like so much more effort, you know, right now. So I like her being here and not being exposed. Um, I take a lot of precautions. So I don't, I don't want to be responsible for her getting COVID. So we're going to stay, Mary. I was just going to say, uh, Jean's also been with us on a party, and so uh, tell us, ask, tell us what you think about having these Zoom conversations. Uh, I understand. She wants to know how you feel about Zoom conversations. Zoom conversations like this. Oh well, I've just been introducing them. <laughs> Recently, <laughs> she likes FaceTime, even though she can't see the people. She likes to do the FaceTime. Yeah, uh, I can just well, barely see you. <laughs> and well, we're um, we're excited to have you here this morning, and also we applaud your creativity and curiosity and being an adopter with your book club and staying involved. And uh, part yeah. of it is just trying something new, right? We're all learning, so uh, right. yes. I'm yeah. glad you could be here for our second podcast. So Fred, over to you to close it out. And uh... Well, we really want to thank uh, Pat, Pat and Jean for taking the time to be with us and, and share their experiences. Mary, you know, there are so many places people can turn to online for health information. And I know you have a, a few favorites, but are there, you, you mentioned, I think, uh, Harvard, Harvard Health. Right, there's a, the Harvard, uh, 
university um, updates every two weeks their medical uh, research. And so it's very easy to get updated information. And then we have some books in our bookstores. I, I frequently go to the independent bookstore to just see what boomers and seniors are reading. And there's a lot of interest in the body right now. There's a lot of interest in immunity. Uh, there's an uh, interest in, you know, you mentioned blue ocean zones. So we hope to do a show where we can feature some of these innovations around health and wellness because health is the new, home is the new health hub and it's the new work hub, it's the new entertainment hub. And so we should uh, learn a little bit more about staying healthy, eating healthy and being engaged with others. So. And uh, that's uh, the primary focus of the podcast going forward is the intersection of technology and longevity and aging. So we hope people will stay with us. And you have resources as well, Mary, at maryfurlong.com. It's where you can find us. You can also find us pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts on YouTube. And you can also ask your smart speaker to play us. Just say, Alexa, play the Living Longer, Better, Smarter podcast, and it will work. We want yeah, to... It's, we're so excited to be with all of you and to grow this community of people who are interested in these issues. And what better guest than someone who's 99 and a half telling us how to live longer and better. So thank you all. Okay. We want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Vital Tech, providing digital solutions, transforming connected health. For more information, the website is vitaltech.com. And thank you for spending some time with us. Stay healthy. And Mary, you've got a couple of reminders. Two reminders. Actually, we should have Jean remind us. Two reminders. Remind, let me remind you to register to vote and then subscribe to Living Longer, Better, Smarter. And tell your friends and suggest ideas to us as well. Thank you, Fred. It's been fun to be with you. Terrific, Mary. Thanks. Thanks.